Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hey everybody out there, welcome back to another amazing episode of Radio Free HPC. Stay tuned because it's going to be a wild ride. Not sure why? It's mostly <laughs> because all three of us are back together again. Dan Olds here, we've got Shaheen Khan down in the valley, and Henry Newman up in the great white north. How you doing guys? I am doing great. 224, Dan. 224 until you migrate to the desert? Yes. Going off to die like the vulture you are. Pretty much. <laughs> nice. Nice. So to, do uh, you have like a counter in front of you, Henry? No, I just have a, a formula in my head. I can do it at any time, any day, and just calculate out. Oh, wow. It's like a square root of something, I imagine. It has nothing to do with square root. It has to do with the fact that there were 366 days. Part of it is because next year's leap year. Then you count the number of months. You uh, multiply and the number of days that are have 31 days. You add that in. You connect. You can figure it out pretty quickly. So you're gonna leap. Nice on a leap year. I'm moving on a leap year. Yes. I like that you took that into account. That is that's professional. That's a pro move, Henry. That's that. <laughs> come on, Dan. Who are you talking to? I know. I know. I just gotta give props when it's right. Speaking of pros and pro moves, our pal Shaheen was off at the HPC on Wall Street meeting, and those are some serious HPC pros out there. What was it like? Yeah, well, it was nice to be back in the Big Apple, and it was a day and a half conference. Boston? It is now called HPC and AI on Wall Street, ah. as the tradition demands these days. And it was very nice about, I would say, on the order of 20 sponsors, a day and a half worth of conferences, lots of panels. I thought the content was superb, and the feedback on Twitter and social media seemed to corroborate that, and people seemed to like what they were hearing. They're going to take the conference to Singapore next, next April. So for those of you who are out in Asia, uh, make a note of it. It's about mid-April-ish sort of a thing, and then uh, bring it back again to New York next year. You know, we've got only about 12 listeners. What are the odds? Maybe half of them. Well, yeah, okay. Dan, you know? we have proven we're at 15. I proved that to you a while ago. We yeah, have 15. but I pissed one of them off, and I think we lost them. So. Okay. Plus, it's not clear every one of them listens to every show. That's a good point. So, Shaheen, I've got a question about the conference. And the question revolves around, you know, historically, people doing trading based on algorithmic analysis of data. At one point, I knew people were doing Monte Carlo analysis and all kinds of other stuff. How is deep learning fitting into this, and what kind of yeah. hardware are they using for that? Well, that's a very apropos question, because there was a panel on AI on Wall Street, and some of the panelists were talking about AI as the second AI bubble, that the first one was in the 80s with Lisp and expert systems and such. And knowledge engineering, and now that we have deep learning, we got a new hammer, and we're looking for where we can use it. One of the panelists said it really nicely, that you want to be problem-driven, not data-driven. That was a good insight. And they also talked about where AI has been successful in image recognition, text translation, gaming. That's where 
A, there's a lot of data, there's been a lot of history, there's a lot of research towards that goal over the past several decades, and now it started working. In finance, if you look at trading strategies, you got noisy data. If you're looking at price predictions, you've got noisy data, and some of the data changes, and you don't have a 50-year history of having worked on it. So you start taking your data ingest, and you start cleaning up the data, and you got data variability, and next thing you know, you don't have enough data. So it is a problem. While everybody's looking at it and trying to make it work, it doesn't look like there is a natural place for it to fit immediately. Well, and I guess one of the things is since all this automated trading has really not been that long, you can't use a lot of old data because the whole way trades have been done and recently is not through automation. I mean, 30 years ago, you had guys holding things up. Yeah, Dan disagrees. Mm. As the guy with the MBA in finance, when I went through this stuff, finance had turned from net present value and internal rate of return to highly statistical analysis, including some mathematical symbols I'd never seen before. What time period was this, Dan? This was the early 90s? Early 90s. 92 to 94. And but guess what? I said 30 years ago, just to be clear. Oh, you and your technicalities with numbers. What am I, an engineer? I'm going to go automatically be able to subtract 30 from 2018 and 19? Yeah, I think you should. Remember, he can instantly tell you how many days are left to some date in 2020. But, but the big thing that those models were trying to do was to take in all of that variability and anomalies from the past and use as much data as you physically could at the time, which was not much, in order to be able to predict the past and hopefully predict the future. So I think that this is incredibly ripe for AI to be able to go back through all of their trade data, back going through the Ibbotson databases, and hopefully better inform their trades. It's like what the national labs are doing, is using AI to inform their simulations. Right, so some of that econometric models and historical analysis probably lends itself, but when the specific topics of risk management and price predictions and such, that continues to be difficult. Of course, there's also such a thing as a random walk on Wall Street, and there's such a thing that when you take an action, other people take different actions. And that variability in data kind of eliminates the predictability that you need to make these, these uh, systems work. And one of the points people made was that even image recognition is really fragile, that you make yes. a very small modification in the image and the software just goes out of whack and throws off the software. Yes, true. But maybe through this, we'll find out if it truly is a random walk down Wall Street or not. <laughs> well, I think when you have... A multi-body problem like this, it's always going to be like that. Yes. So it was a good panel. There was a panel on cloud management, and it was good discussion, similar to the episode that we had a couple of weeks ago on the price performance of HVC and for what it makes sense, but also was a question of governance and who has control over the data and access to the systems, compliance. Those are all considerations that are very, very important for Wall Street. Mm. The conference itself was at the beautiful Roosevelt Hotel, right next to Grand Central Station, very central, easy to get to. The organizers had managed to get a letter from the governor of 
New York, Mr. Cuomo, and Mayor de Blasio, who was or is running for president. Nope, not as of today. Not as of today. Well, they actually had letters from their offices that they printed where they were welcoming the attendees of the show. So that was a nice touch. I moderated the panel on the use of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. The feedback on social media was quite positive, so I was happy to see that. Very cool. We talked about when you kind of know when to use blockchain and when not to use blockchain. If, if your data matters to you and you care about provenance, you always use blockchain. Say more, Henry. What do you mean say more? Explain why that is. Because you want to know who's accessed that data and that element. And you want to know what has happened to data in the history of that data. There was a, actually an interesting article I read this week on blockchain and DNA. And that the recommendation is your DNA should be controlled by blockchain. So you know who's been touching it, who's been looking at it. Yeah, I think it's harder when you can duplicate the data and make a copy of it. So now you can fork the data. Yeah. And one fork carries on having the provenance. The other fork is basically orphaned and you don't know where it came from. And that copied data has equal standing for many uses. And you end up forked out of your right to your data. That's right. Yeah, good. So I asked whether you can separate blockchain from crypto. And if you do so, is it still useful? The consensus was that you can, and it depends on the use case. And in many cases, you do need a value transfer function. And that value transfer function essentially necessitates a cryptocurrency of some sort, regardless of where that currency comes from. And in some cases, you don't, and that may be okay, especially if you're in a permissioned blockchain where you know who's all playing. Mm. What else? Anything else? There was a very good talk on storage. The storage networking, uh, uh, the walkaway there is computational storage. So on the compute side, we are familiar with processing and memory. We talked about a couple of those guys from the hot chip conference. On the storage side, it's called computational storage, where you bring CPU and included inside storage and sort of the serverization of that stuff. And then there was also an excellent talk from none other than Thomas Thurston, who is an investor. Oh, I know him. And he has done a lot of modeling and simulation to try to predict what kind of investments actually succeed. He's very, very good on that. He's extremely good. One of the big conclusions there was that if you just eliminate the duds, your overall performance becomes a lot better. Mm -hmm. So they look at big data, who are in the market, who is winning. Their step two is machine learning and simulation. What are the statistical odds? How can they improve? He was saying that a better product doesn't really win as much as a cheaper product does, for example. That's one of the insights they've learned. They then do the human due diligence. So it does not a replacement for the human due diligence, but it augments it quite nicely. Very cool. You know what we need to hear, though? What do we need to hear, Dan? We need to hear another one of uh, Henry Newman's reasons why no one should be online ever. This week. This week. As always, it's a target-rich environment out there. I was figuring, well, what's the worst one this week I saw? There were a bunch of them. There were a lot of candidates, as always. But I think the worst one is is actually a good one. They caught the two people and sentenced them that did the phone call for the gamers that oh, good. It was hostage situation. And somebody got killed. Oh, the- that kind of thing is finally going by the wayside. I haven't heard about any of those calls recently to the police saying there's a hostage situation. I think the first one was was Krebs himself got called. He got swatted. Was the first one said there's a hostage and SWAT team came in and almost killed him. 
But I think that's in some ways, this is good news that they're finally getting these people and making examples of them. So I'll put that in the good news category this week. I'm doing something good, Dan. It's, I know it's unusual. Excellent. It's great to hear. Very uplifting. Yeah. But I hear that boat in the background. I hear that bell from the buoy ringing. It's time for the catch of the week. Shaheen, you got a catch? I got a catch. I'm going to stay on the blockchain because that's in my mind. As we all know, Facebook and 27 association members are backing a cryptocurrency called Libra. France and Germany came out and intend to block it, essentially saying that if you're touching anything having to do with money, that's a sovereignty issue and only the government has it. Who's been saying that Me? for a long time that it's not going to happen? I believe it's a certain Mr. Newman. <laughs> yes. Governments are not going to give up their sovereignty for cryptocurrency. Nuh-uh. That's been my line for quite a while. Yes, and I believe that with Libra, they've got somebody to actually block. And I think many of them are taking steps to do that. However, this could also be the beginning of a longer-term battle and see how that works, because there are, in fact, use cases for settlement inside banks, JP Morgan talked about one, Mitsubishi Bank is talking about one, but none of those are meant for public consumption. They're like inside the bank. It's like going to some European resort that has its own tokens to be used within the resort. Henri, what do you have? I have a funny, funny, funny register article that I found that's titled Magnetic Cockroaches, Dirty Money, Wombat Poo, and Posty's balls. It's the LG Nobels of 2019. And it shows what governments around the world fund for research projects. And it's absolutely hysterical. You know, in some ways, you almost want to cry. Why are we spending money on this? But the good news is, it's not just the US government who does this. There's governments around the world who spend money on really stupid research projects. Well, for instance, medicine for collecting evidence that Pizza might protect against illness and death if the pizza is made and eaten in Italy, <laughs> which, not strangely enough, was funded by Italy. Yes. Go figure. So anyway. Good stuff. Go figure. That was a good one. I have one. Uh, how many times have you guys gotten a call from somebody saying they're from, for instance, a Microsoft Help Center? Oh, I try to keep them on as long as possible. Yes. I have a contest with a friend. It's great. I love your contest. We're going to have to get the stats from that at some point. Well... Let me tell you a quick story about a guy named Viraj Patel, who was in California and was working this scam with a bunch of, of others. And turns out they caught him and he reached a plea deal in exchange for pleading guilty and avoiding a lengthy trial. He would spend up to 165 months or 14 years in the clink with three years of supervised release. And it turns out that he did agree to take a plea deal, and he thought he was going to have to pay $250,000. Surprise, surprise, he had agreed in signing that plea deal to compensatory damages, which pushed that all the way up to $9 million. Oh, wow. Ha ha. Oopsie bad. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and then he appealed this and said that his entire case to the appeals court was, if I'd have known I'd have to pay that much, I would have pled not guilty. <laughs> as it turns out that did not fly and so he is paying the nine million dollars and justice has been done 
Oh, yes. Glad to hear that, Dan. Hey, one other thing. Quick note. Be sure and check out our Twitter feed. We now have a Twitter account. It is at Radio Free HPC, and that's all spelled out. And by the way, guys, we have a total of eight followers. Almost everybody. Which is, yeah, it's almost half. Well, except two of them are Shaheen and me. Okay, okay. So we're, we're, six followers. We're inching our way towards full coverage. Yes. It would be great if we could get 100% of you 14, 15 listeners that we have following us on Twitter. So again, that's at Radio Free HPC. Join up and dig in. And thank you for listening. So on that note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC, and we will talk to you all soon and be out with new episodes very quickly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.